Welcome back to A Better Love. I'm your host, Dr. Greg, and we're here today with Dr. Anya, a doctor of human sexuality and a certified sexologist. First time here at A Better Love Project. Dr. Anya, thank you so much for being on the show today. So great to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. It's really a pleasure. I'm really excited because this is really our first sexologist on the podcast, on the show. And so I would love for you just to be able to share a little bit of your story, what brought you to where you are and what you're doing in San Francisco Bay Area and what a certified uh, sexologist is. Okay, great. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. So a little bit about me, um, really spent about almost three decades um, with just one topic. <laughs> so um, I started off doing hands-on work and I did kind of tantra, sexological body work, some pro-dom work. So I kind of did like field research, okay. I would call it, like into the realm of human sexuality, did lots of training. So I'm certified in all kinds of hands-on modalities. And then I went back to grad school. So my undergrad is in humanities. And then I went back to grad school and got my doctorate in human sexuality. And along the way, I picked up a bunch of other awesome trainings. Like I've done a SAR, which is this kind of like in-depth training for sexologists that has us really look at our own stuff so that we can really sit there and be present for others. And yeah, so I just kind of done like a deep dive into this field for so long, graduating with that degree. And now I have a private practice um, where I mainly work with individuals in a relationship and couples. So I really like to center and focus on relationships. And you're focused mainly around sort of coaching around this yeah. educational field that which you become a specialist in. Uh, and so right. with these individuals and couples, you're actually working through some some of the most challenging things, perhaps. We're probably gonna get to some of those things today, hopefully in, in the episode. Can I quickly ask you though, because our project is about love, how does love come up in your work as a sexologist? That's a great question. So I definitely think that for long-term relationships, um, having a foundation of intimacy is so important. Um, you know, maybe when people first meet and they have that kind of like first spark, it might be more sexual and then tend to eventually become really deeply intimate and emotional. Sometimes it's the other way around. Um, but for long-term relationships, just really having the love in that container, that depth of intimacy, I believe is what really keeps the spark going long-term. So my work with couples is very much founded on their emotional connection as well as their sexual connection. So it's kind of holistic. It's all part of one thing. It's a beautiful yeah. thing. So a depth of emotional and sexual connection is how love shows up in your work. I love it. Mm -hmm. And helping clients get yeah. there uh, slowly but surely. So you've been looking at sexuality for a very long time. You sat with this stuff. You've worked with many people. What are the most common hurdles that we have, misconceptions, uh, maybe growing up, maybe as adults, when it comes to sexuality writ large? And I know we, we were just talking about this. We could do, you know, multiple episodes about maybe each one of these questions I'm going to ask you today. But in general, what are one of the biggest misconceptions in terms of human sexuality that folks are struggling with right now? Yeah. So I think a big one is that there's an idea that people kind of have an on and off switch, mm. um, especially in how the body functions. So we look at arousal and orgasm. It's okay to say that here, I hope. Oh yeah, everything, um, all the things yeah. are okay to say here, yeah. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, so um, yeah, that there's some kind of on and off switch and that if you just do a couple things, like rub here, move there, go here, mm. go there, or just have a thought that everything's gonna turn on. Yeah. 
And we really don't, we're not like that. We are very complex organisms. Um, and it's, it's very nuanced and interesting and not on and off like that. So I think that's one of the, the big ones and where there's so much frustration when people come to see me and they might be having erectile variations, which is what I like to call it. Mm -hmm. I kind of get away from the medical model and I like to work with language a little bit more open. It's a little bit, um, less shame-based to think okay. like erectile variation. Sometimes it's like this, sometimes it's like that, but there's a real misconception around it that it just should be one way all the time. And people get really upset. Um, so that's just maybe like one demographic. That's a massive, that's a massive one, a huge one. Okay. So it's not an on and off switch. There's all sorts yeah. of accelerators and decelerators that there's variation and complexity. Amazing message. Please, everybody listening right now, please take this one home. Any other big ones in terms of misconceptions? Yeah. Yeah. So I would say that there's an idea that things are sourced from kind of outside. So in terms of, you know, our sexual identity, um, the way we should be, the way we're supposed to be performing sex, looking sexy, that there's a lot of social scripts. Um, can be cultural scripts, religious scripts, and that what I'm really helping to, you know, for people to understand and unlock is what is actually your true sovereign desire. Mm -hmm. So a big misconception is that we're supposed to be a certain way when it comes to sex versus, well, how do you feel? Like, does that feel good to you? Does that not feel good to you? So it's a little bit more of a bottom up versus top down, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, getting people out of their heads. That's a huge piece of this. So yeah, I think those are probably the two big ones, not an on and off switch. And it's about you, not everybody else around you and how they define your sexuality. I love that. It's about you. Yeah. It's about you. It starts there. All of this stuff, all of this intimacy stuff starts from that place maybe too. Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. How do people, and I know this is a big one. I'm not sure I've talked about it on this show yet, but people come to learn about human sexuality, their own sexuality, their own connection to those things in so many different ways. But in general, my understanding is that we're not doing an amazing job at helping uh, folks learn about these things early on in life. Sex education in the United States of America, what's your stance? What What, what is it looking like? Are we doing well? Yeah, so that was a, that's a really good question. Um, so I did think about this. Um, I spent a lot of time reflecting on kind of the definition of sex education. So we have the, you know, what kids learn in school, say maybe fifth grade, sixth grade, kind of middle school. And that class might be a little bit of, you know, you know a little content about sex. And then there's everything else. Like, again, like I was saying, society, culture, religious, I think it's the everything else that's more important than what's that little class that kids are taking in the fifth grade. Yeah. Because when I do my intake appointment, my assessment with all of my clients, I always ask them, where did you learn about sex? And it's very rare that people say, I learned so much in the fifth grade. Like, I feel really competent about myself. <laughs> yeah. They're like, yeah, there was that little class. Or my son, who's 19, when he was in middle school, they had like maybe a semester. Yeah. And that's currently, right, here in yeah. California in the Bay. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, sure, there's, there's all kinds of room for improvement. This is a huge country. Um, there's going to be different, you know, sectors and viewpoints all around this country. I think what people are really getting their information from right now is online. Mm -hmm. um, so to kind of answer your question, like, are we doing well <laughs> yeah. in terms of where people are getting their information? 
Yes and no. So on the one hand, sure, like people are having more conversations about sex. Um, so, and I want to say people, I'm being very general here because yeah. again, it's a huge country. There's a lot of people here from other countries too. Um, so some people, depending on the age range, might be having more conversations about sex. And so there's kind of like a vernacular, there's a way in which they feel maybe more comfortable having those conversations with their peers. Um, but on the other hand, there's just so much out there. How can a young mind discern what to take and what to leave? And so yeah. I think it's, it's, just a, it's just more confusion. Yeah. Um, and I think what's really important is that, you know, when you're raising little ones is to really have age appropriate conversations at home and kind of what your um, climate is, you know, as a parent, like how you're talking to your kids, you know, what their social groups are kind of what their conversations are. That's going to be more important than that, like, you know, couple hour class they, they mm -hmm. have in school. Yeah. No, no, I mean, it's a huge, it's a huge question and, and you just tackled it so well. Um so by the time we have kids or we're in that space that we're parenting, we hope that maybe we've done some of our own understanding, you know, work to dig into some of these cultural, all the other things that you mentioned outside of just that class. Um, folks can do that with folks like you, right? I mean, that's what you're, that's some of the work that you're doing. You're educate. you're out there educating Dr. Anya. You're out there speaking about this stuff, making sure people know about all the other things. Uh, what would, yeah. what would you think about individuals? Not all of our listeners are in relationships. Not all our listeners may or may not be sexually active right now, but just from an individual perspective, what would you want individuals to be, you know, to know about their sexuality in general? Yeah, just that it's really personal, you know, mm -hmm. just kind of going back to what I said before that it's really personal, you know, there's, um, I think there's probably a lot of emphasis on, so like social, you know, like how we look, how we perform, what other people want from us, pleasing another person um, and a lot less self-discovery. And so I might say, you know, start with yourself, mm -hmm. check out what might feel good to you in your body. That's a lot of self-exploration. Um, there's not a lot of permission for that, I don't think, in yeah. terms of, you know, the way that some people may have been raised. So I do work with a lot of individuals that have never done anything like that. Like, it's just so beyond what they they were told was allowed, um, that that's really the starting point. Like, and it's slow, go slow. Mm -hmm. You don't have to jump right in with two feet, but when you're looking at your own sexual exploration, it could just be little things, little things you know, to see how you feel and constantly check back with your body. Your body is going to be the biggest signifier of, you know, whether you're in the pleasure zone or out of the pleasure zone. So I would say that's, that's the, the biggest thing. Yeah. So understanding what is pleasurable to you in a, yeah. particularly if pleasure was not something that you were brought up to believe was something you could pursue touching yourself or whatever. I mean, and a specific example might be masturbation, I guess, as I'm listening to you in terms of exploring what's pleasurable or not around that. Is that an example? Yeah, that's kind of where I was going with that. Yeah. And, and that's only because of so many of the individuals that I work with that just don't know their own bodies. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say, just start there. And again, you can just start really slow. You know, sometimes it's just even about non-sexual self-touch you know, just like it, it, just touching your own body in a loving yeah. way yeah. and then bringing in the sexual piece. Um, 
Yeah, yeah I, I mean, again, I could go on and on and on. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I know. <laughs> so that's uh, one little thing. Yeah, pleasure. Understanding pleasure, pleasure for yourself and being in, uh, experimenting with what that feels like when you're just exploring for yourself. That's a beautiful entry point, Dr. Anya. So thank you. Thank you for that, uh, around that conversation. Yeah. But these things, by the way, can be explored if you're in individual therapy or if you're doing individual coaching with somebody like Dr. Anya. Wonderful reason to spend a few a few meetings with somebody to talk about this stuff. Please do yourself a favor and love yourself enough to schedule an appointment like that with somebody, I think. Thoughts on that in general? I agree. Yeah, definitely. And as a coach consultant, we do, I do um, also really look at, you know, what might be getting in the way, kind of gathering some information, you know, what might be going on some blocks, limiting beliefs, fears, and then kind of crafting a road forward because it is mind body, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of mental stuff that mm -hmm. might be getting in the way. Let's just kind of gently look at that and then move forward from there. Amazing. Yeah. So that's super important. You get it to, and you have mm -hmm. to take the first step to actually reaching out to somebody and doing that. So do that this week. If you're listening and you're experiencing any, <laughs> any question, curiosity about your sexuality, dive into the work, please. There are a lot of listeners out there and viewers who are in relationships right now. And sexual intimacy is, is huge. It's key. We promote it, champion it here at a better love project. What are some common challenges that you're seeing uh, in general with couples in sexual intimacy, what's a big one? So yeah, it's quite interesting. So I'm not only um, am I sort of a teacher and I know a lot about sex, I'm also constantly a student. Mm. So I'm always curious. I mean, it's fascinating. Like the realm of human sexuality across the lifespan is just never ending fascination for me. Yeah. And so I find it quite interesting, but in a lot of the people that I see, there is a desire discrepancy. Mm -hmm. And this can be, you know, all genders. It's not just like, you know, man, woman, it could be two women, it could be two men, but there, there's some kind of a desire discrepancy, at least the people who come to see me, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things is that one person may be a little bit of a, what I call a quick libido okay. and the other, a slow libido. Okay. So I work a lot around kind of coming to a balance there. Um, and that's quite interesting work. And then I work with a lot of couples um, who are from arranged marriages, mm. um, which is another big demographic, which I find to be, again, extremely fascinating. So there can be a lot of love and depth and connection. Um, however, the sexual piece is not happening for a variety of reasons. Yeah. Um, and so just kind of, really going slow there and a lot of teaching like how the body works how you can get into a space of arousal yeah. you know how to get to a place of orgasm and then once that's all going well and everybody kind of understands their bodies more it tends to just whoosh, like they just they just go for it yeah <laughs> so. amazing well that's a great that's a great place to be so those are two big issues uh, let's tease some of this apart and dive into it a little bit. Sure. First with the, the discrepancy piece. It might be a good place to start to think it, it's normal. It's in it, within the realm of normal yes. for one person to maybe a little bit more, more like, Hey, let's do it. And the other person be like, okay, give me, I need a little time. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I need a little bit more massaging into this. Yeah. Um, yeah. and that that's okay. 
that's within the realm of normal and that's okay. That's a good place to start, right? It's I, always I think that normalize. is the place. I think that is the place to start when it comes to that discrepancy, because for many of the couples that I see uh, who come into the practice, they sort of like that on off switch myth or misconception. It's that we're somehow just automatically going to want sex in the same ways, the same frequency. And that's just, you know, my view from what I've seen and what I, you know, that's not going to be, that's going to be something that we're going to bring energy to and interest in. How long does that take typically the work that you do when you're working with couples to get to a place where they have a sense of that awareness and understanding? And it's interesting because it doesn't take that long. Mm -hmm. So I, I would say between about six and 12 sessions, mm -hmm. there's actually a, a sweet spot there. So the kind of transformation arc, and I might say the reason why is because folks are really, they, you know, by the time they come to me, they're like, we want to do something about this situation. Yeah. It's a great open, like open mind, open for some change. And also as a coach, that's really what I'm looking for is working with coachable clients, yeah. people who really are open for change. Yeah. Um, Typically, they are functioning well in their relationship, and this is the area that really needs the most work. So they're already turning towards each other. And I know mm -hmm. you and I both do a lot of Botman methods, so that's kind of a, a familiar term there. Um, they maybe already are turning towards. Mm -hmm. We can always get better at that. Yeah. <laughs> but they're already kind of turning towards each other in terms of emotionally or you know, communication-wise. And now they get to do this really fun project. So it's a lot of team building yeah. and it's and having the conversation in a safe space. So a lot of folks haven't had really constructive dialogue around sex and it often goes kind of destructive or fr frustrating. Mm -hmm. So creating that space for them to really have those conversations in a shame-free zone. Like I've heard it all, like yes. shame-free, non-judgmental space. And then, you know, building that emotional intimacy they're starting to find like there's a fluency of emotional um, space that's that's opening up here. And then the touch exercises. So I do a lot of like, I've kind of taken the old masters and Johnson's sensate focused and sort of revitalized it for okay. 2023 okay. um, and put my own spin on it. And so I have couples do these um, somatic exercises. Once they start really getting an awareness of each other's bodies, they're like literally finding things on even just an arm massage they've never noticed before. Yeah. Like, oh, wow, you have this part of your arm. I never noticed it. You know, they've been together yeah. 20 years and they're discovering yeah. new things about each other. So six to 12 sessions, it's really not a long-term event. It's just, yeah. let's get in there, get some stuff going and then send you on your way. Go yes. have fun. Yeah, and have fun. <laughs> exactly. We want everybody have having fun. fun. We want everybody having fun. So you, you mentioned yeah. a couple of things here, and we we briefly had chatted about this uh, before the show, but there is a difference between emotional intimacy and sexual intimacy. What is So what is that? I mean, they develop maybe together, as it seems our conversation suggests today, but you can have a situation, as you're mentioning, where you do, you have maybe friendship, you've got people communicating relatively well, you know, you get all these other pieces in place, but the sexual intimacy specifically. So is it really, is it about that touch base, given that's the intervention? Is it really about that touch base piece, that body base piece, that sexual intimacy comes in? Right. Wow. I feel like this is definitely a book on <laughs> just the topic. Okay. So, um, so here's the thing is 
I would say that not everybody needs emotional intimacy to be sexual. Yes. Um, and some people, and so that's one thing. Yes. Number two, some people come to intimacy, emotional intimacy through their sexuality, like through the body. Okay. And some people come to their sexuality through their emotional intimacy. So that's kind of like three camps. Yes, yes. Um, maybe there's more. But what's interesting for me is to really, again, like I said, I'm still a student of human sexuality, is really asking my clients, you know, you tell me like mm -hmm. what that's, that looks like for you. And sometimes with the desire discrepancy, you might find that one person in the relationship, they find that they're more emotionally open mm -hmm. when their sexual needs are. When they feel satiated, like maybe their love language is touch. Mm -hmm. Once they get all their touch and sex, you know, sexual needs met, they're like, oh, hey, now I can have this long, deep conversation with you. Yeah. Well, and there's a, people, it's like, yeah. yeah, 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 go ahead. Well, I was going to say that there are, there are all these beautiful neurotransmitters and chemicals surging through our body as well, which, right? So that all assists with all this attachment, bonding, communication stuff too. So yeah. And then some people, it's really like they need that emotional connection to really open up sexually. So this is a fun dance. And if those two people exist in the same relationship, that's a really interesting space for them to experiment. Again, there's yeah. a lot more to yeah. say on that. That's Much just more. a really a um, beautiful, definitely amazing take home folks here. Sexual intimacy, emotional intimacy, there's different channels, pathways, you know, to all of this stuff and understanding your own and being able to navigate whatever that match looks like with your partner, I guess, is when it comes down to it and, and, the, mo and the most pleasurable way possible. <laughs> I think yeah, in general. Exactly. Yeah. And I would just say too, that I feel like it's really normal that we, I, I'm really all about what is true for you. Yeah. Not what some like old dusty old book yeah. <laughs> we're back in like the early 1900s says like, what's true for you? Yeah. How do you build intimacy? Yeah. And because it is built from that, from within ourselves, if we are following the advice of Dr. Anya here, we understand the, all the other pressures and stuff, but we, again, we come back to ourselves and and grow that that sexuality and intimacy within ourselves. Last question I've got here for you, Dr. Anna. What's your top tip for maintaining romance and passion in a decades-long relationship? You said a little bit about this already, but top tips. Did we hit them all already? <laughs> well, you know what I, I thought was so interesting about this one is that I think we're all still learning and we yeah. don't have to know yet. Yeah. Um, because it's, it's really a social experiment. And of course, you know, Esther Perel's book, Mating in Captivity and all that work. And just that this is the time in our, in, our, in human history, maybe where we're trying to get it all in one long-term relationship. And yeah. so I think it's a lot about keeping an open mind, experimenting, coming back to what feels pleasurable in your body, what feels pleasurable for your partner, mm -hmm. great communication skills. Like if you can get your communication on point and lean in with curiosity, yeah. you know, ask open-ended questions, um, turn towards those things go a long way. Maybe finding kind of like a hobby with sex you know, like, okay. What's that mean? You know, yes, maybe, I, yeah, I mean, you know, like how can you, you know, maybe you, you go to a toy store together and try a couple of new things or you write each other like little erotica. I mean, there's so many tricks, okay. right? Yeah, yeah. We like those. <laughs> so we like those. Okay. Yeah. 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 And so novelty, there's a novelty there in creating new experiences together. Yeah. That seems like a good recipe to keep falling in love with each other as well, you know, with all with yeah. all the sexual intimacy that might come 
with that because I think we are, we're trying, we really are trying to get it all in one love. You know what I mean? I think, I don't know if any generation has had an opportunity, generations has had an opportunity to do that. I think it's ours where this is the time to do it. There's so many opportunities to love in a fierce, romantic, passionate way. Would you agree, Dr. Anya? Oh, yes. And it's such an exciting endeavor. Like it's such a cool thing to to do in your lifetime, you know, it's like try to to make it all work. Why not? I'm in a long term <laughs> relationship. It's like, yeah. okay, let's do this, roll up our sleeves. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Try to figure it out. It's, it's, it can be really fun with the right person. It's really fun. Yes. Yes. A good match. Let me ask you if I can remember the idea that what we want is coming from ourselves and not society necessarily. We did talk about a particular gender thing and uh, dynamic potentially in some relationships where I think you had mentioned, you know, being more male centric in terms of pleasure. Am I, am I remembering the conversation? Well, yeah. yeah. What's the message the there that you would want our listeners, viewers to hear? Yeah. Okay. So I may have mentioned this kind of quick libido and slow libido. Yeah. Um, and so some of the work that I do with couples is to really become a little more female centric or slow libido centric, depending okay. on what gender that lives in. So you could just say slow libido centric. Um, yeah. I think what it really does is it it really creates this beautiful space. And we're talking about intimacy. Um, for people with a slow libido, sometimes they need this container of love and intimacy to get to their sexuality. And it really teaches those with like a quick libido which could be, you could call that male centric sometimes. Sometimes mm -hmm. that's the way that lives in not gender. It teaches them so much. And you just find like, oh, wow, they're like connecting with their hearts and then having these long, much longer yeah. make out and sex sessions yeah. where they're like, wow. Oh. I mean, some guys come back and they're like, dude, the quality is so much better now that yeah. I slowed down. Yeah. Like, I don't even need it at all. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because the quality is like mine. It's an immersive, maybe an immersive experience more if you're really attending to it. Okay. Well, let's, let's take that one home, ladies and gentlemen, let's, let's take that one home and use that. Uh, if you're in a relationship right now with a low libido, is that how you've described it? I've renamed it. I've returned a lot of these terms that I feel like are keeping people really, you know, yeah. feel kind of awful about Let's run with it. One of my, my, the blogs that did the best on my website is the slow libido, sorry, low libido versus slow libido. And mm. all these women were like, wow, I resonate with that so much. So I just call it slow libido now. Yeah, yeah. I like it. You heard it here at A Better Love Project with Dr. Anya. Dr. Anya, if our listeners, viewers want to connect with you, where should they go? Yeah, so you can go to my website. It's really easy to remember. It's called teachmeaboutsex.com. So that's probably the best place to go. You can always send me an email through there and I'm happy to chat with you. Cheers, Dr. Johnny. Thank you so much for joining our show today and teaching us so much about human sexuality. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, go check out Dr. Anya's stuff. Learn more about what she's got to share with you. From my heart to yours, love each other fiercely. We'll see you soon. Peace.